over to the railway museum in Ipswich. So the morning we got up early and we got all dressed and we got cats and snacks for the day, you know, we had little things of sultanas and LCM bars and little kitty cheeses and some poppers. And after that we also packed some snacks for the kids. And we packed them all down the road. And we're driving uh, kind of um, Western Freeway and then onto the Ipswich motorway and at that time that Patrick Road where the Western Freeway joins Centenary Highway and this joins Ipswich Motorway was all new. And this is like 10 years ago, so I didn't have GPS on my phone or anything or built into my car. And the next year I had the rest of the next life turned inside of and have a map and I'm kind of trying to read the signs and we've got half life blasting in the back and Xavier's asleep, you know, and Edison's eating her snacks and this hotel was getting stuck down the side of the seat. You know how that happens? Man, parenting, eh? I'm trying to make sense of where I'm supposed to go and I'm saying, oh Jesus, this is all new, I don't recognise where we are, and I'll miss that sign, and what does that sign say, which lane should I be in, and it looks sort of spinning the map over and over, trying to work out where we are and where we're supposed to go. It's all new to us. And then all of a sudden, this policeman walks out into the middle of the road, uh, I thought I was in Terminator 2, and he came out and he's like motioning for me to stop and demanding that pull over, and I'm like, me, me. Anyway, so I pull over, uh, like, what is going on? And, you know, turn down the high five, uh, kiss music, and Edison says, what's wrong, Daddy? And Xavier's woken up now, and I'm just trying to be cool because the police is coming over. And he comes over and says to me, sir, do you know how fast you're going? And I said, yes, about 90. He said, yes, 94 kilometers an hour, and he shows me the radar gun. And he says, this is a 60 zone. And I'm like, whoa, no way. He's like, yes, it will be 100. But at the moment, the road is new, people are still finding their way. So the Patrick Road at the moment is 60. You were doing 34 kilometers over the speed limit. And I'm like, oh, mate, obviously, you know, like, didn't know it was an accident. I was trying to find my way, trying to work out where to go. I wasn't trying to, like, do anything wrong. And he's like, license, uh, driver's license, please, sir. I keep learning my license. You guys go to his motorbike. And the uh, innocent's like, 
principle that the world should operate on the principle of a fair go. A fair go. Uh, an equitable approach. Reasonable. Sensible. You know, you do the work, you get paid. If you're sick, you have a sick. If you're smart enough to be the system, we'll put on you, you've won. Like, we will heckle. We will call out if we think someone is not getting a fair go. And in fact, in Australia, we have a word for this, and it's the word Khan. You know, you're in class and the teacher's being unfair. Oh, Khan, miss, let him off. They're playing sport and the rest being unfair. Oh, Khan, ref. Khan, just let it go, ref. You know, you pull out the white policeman on the way to the railway museum, and you're like, oh, Khan, policeman, be sensible, be reasonable. We think we want to operate on the principle of a fair go. And you know what? Although Australia's claim is fair go principle, it's actually pretty universal. Even in Jesus' day, that's how people thought the world should work. They thought that fairness uh, should be the guiding principle, uh, reward for hard work, a fair go. But then Jesus comes, and he ushers in a new world order, a new paradigm, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And throughout his ministry, Jesus says, you think it's like this, but actually it's like this. And he tells, he tells, Stories, parables to help people grasp the radical nature of the kingdom of God. That it is a different way of life completely. The new king, the new kingdom, the kingdom of, of God. Now, a parable is a believable story that has one main point. It's not an allegory, but every single point matters. It's not a, a, a fable. Um, a parable is a believable story that has one main point. It packs one major punch. The details matter, but really it's about one thing. I want to today uh, one of the uh, parables that, that Jesus tells. It's a parable of turning people's world upside down, helping them understand that actually the world is not run on the principle of a fair go. God has something else in store for how the kingdom of God operates. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Uh, let me read it to you. It's uh, starting in verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to work in his vineyard. Now Jesus here pictures harvest time when we need lots of seasonal laborers. And in Australia we're kind of missing that at the moment. We don't have the normal backpackers and things to help uh, you know, pick our fruit, for example. Um, he's picturing uh, harvest time and what happens if you were uh, a worker, you would go and wait in the town square and be a marketplace to be hired. You'd go there early in the morning and you want to be hired for the whole work day. The work day was from 6am to 6pm and the going rate for a day laborer was one denarius. Now this is a world where uh, people who were laborers really lived hand to mouth. They only really earned enough food each day for food for that day. So if you didn't work that day, you kind of didn't get paid, no welfare system, and then didn't have food to eat uh, for that day. So people would go into the marketplace and they would hope to get uh, picked up for a day's worth of work. And that's what the landowner does here. He goes and hires some workers and he agrees to pay them the day rate of one uh, denarius. Then about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others still standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went out. So, so they went. He went out again at noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. So the first group of workers get 
others for true. And it says here that he agreed to pay whatever is right. Now, most reasonable people would think that if you do two-thirds of the work day, you're going to receive, sorry, three-quarters of the work day, you're going to receive three-quarters of the pay. And if you do half a day's work, you get half a day's pay. If you do quarter of the day's work, you get a quarter of the day's pay. So that's kind of what's happening here. After six, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why are you standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. He goes back at the 11th hour, 11 twelfths of the way through the day, 5pm, and he finds others who have just not been able to get work that day. And they've waited around all day, hoping just to get a tiny bit of work, to get a tiny bit of money, to buy a tiny bit of food to feed their families for that day. Now, it's important to note that these guys here at 5pm, they, they haven't been lazy, they haven't had the wrong thing, they haven't been fired, there just hasn't been enough work for them. Uh, so they've waited patiently, faithfully all day, expecting, hoping to get some work. Uh, verse 8. When evening came, the landowner of the vineyard, sorry, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the ones hired, uh, the ones last hired, and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each one received, each one received a denarius. So the end of the day is coming for lining to get their pay. They start with those that have done the least amount of work, hired at five pm and one hour's work, and they receive a whole day's wage. One denarius. Now imagine you're there, you're stumped. One hour's work and you receive twelve hours worth of, of pay. That's awesome. Now imagine you're the ones who are hired first. You're hired at 6 a.m. You work all day, baking, you know, breaking your back in the baking sun, uh, working all day in the vineyard. Now you see that it comes to me like this, wait a second, wait a second. If the people that did one hour's work got one denarius, then those that have done 12 hours of 
you agree to work for the nurse, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hard to last the same as I give you. Do I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? <laughs> the parable finishes there and Jesus provides the knockout punch. And so the last will be first and the first will be last. He says to him, do you, are you envious because I'm generous? Now here, envy, envy means possessive self-centeredness. It literally means bad eyes. It means that you can only see yourself. You only think about yourself. You're only concerned with yourself. You have a possessive self-centeredness. Mine, 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 mine. I'm fair, I'm fair, I'm fair. And Jesus says, are you, yeah, are you possessively self-centered with me because I'm generous? Like, think through what happens that day in the community. Everyone who needed work that day got paid a full day's wage. So there are little kids in homes. When daddy comes home from work after getting paid, and they know that if he didn't work that day, he didn't get paid that day, there's no food to eat that day. And he turns up and he says, Daddy's home, and I got paid. We're going to eat tonight. Like, every kid in that, in that town with a full tummy because everyone who needed work that day got work that day. Everyone who needed money to buy food that day did that. Like the master generosity blessed the entire community. Yet some people are angry about it. Some people feel unfairly treated. Instead of celebrating the incredible generosity of the landowner, of the master, instead of doing that, they, they grumble and feel cheated. And Jesus says, and so the last will be first and the first he begins the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, he tells the parable. And then he finishes by saying, and so the last will be first, and the first will be last. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, is this is how the kingdom works. It's a public service announcement. Attention everyone, attention everyone. It's a thing I've learned a lot. I need to tell you that this is how the kingdom of God operates. The kingdom of God is a kingdom based on grace. Is an announcement. Jesus is announcing to everybody that the guiding principle for the kingdom of God is not a fair go. The guiding principle for the kingdom of God is undeserved favor and kindness. It's grace. The kingdom of God runs on grace. The fuel for the kingdom of God is grace. The currency in the kingdom of God is grace. The official language of the kingdom of God is grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. Jesus is announcing to people, this is how the kingdom of God is. No matter how you feel about it, no matter what you think about it, no matter whether you agree with it or not, no matter whether you're aware of it or not, no matter whether you embrace it or reject it, irregardless of what any, anything that you can say or do, no matter which how you appeal, no matter how you grumble, no, no matter anything, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of grace. Jesus is announcing this is how it is. This is the way. This is the way of the kingdom. It's an announcement Jesus is making about how the kingdom of God works. So Jesus' point, I think, as he announces this, is to say that his hearers embrace grace. Embrace grace. The kingdom of God is all about grace. You think it's about a fair go? It's not. It's about grace. To get on board, go all in, embrace grace, grab hold of grace. We should embrace grace because grace is how the kingdom of God works. Embrace grace for this 
addresses. So I know, maybe you struggle with this, and maybe you think, um, like some of the workers, that you feel cheated because other people um, you know, experience uh, God's favor, and you feel somehow that things have been unfair to you. Like maybe you've grown up in church, and you've been faithfully following God, and faithfully serving, and you know, working either the sun or day, I guess. And you see other people who slip in at the last moment and, and now they're on the same team as you, serving in church or they're getting the same opportunities that you're getting. And you think, yes, that's not fair. I, I, I've been here diligently serving and they've been there diligently sinning. Like they've been doing all the things that I kind of secretly wish I could do. Run like sin, sin out of the festival, but instead I've been here carving myself Faithfully serving God, I kind of feel a bit ripped off, like I wish I could have lived their life, but instead I've had to just be a good person the whole time. And I feel God hasn't been fair to me. You feel cheated because you think God is unfair. Well, I need to tell you that's how you feel, like you're out of step with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. You're not in step with grace, and, and the message for you today is you've got to embrace grace. This is the way of the kingdom. And maybe you're not like that at all. Maybe you're the one that kind of comes in at five o'clock in the afternoon and gets the same reward as everybody else. And, and you somehow feel guilty because other people feel cheated. Like you know it's not fair. You know you've experienced God's incredible grace and, and undeserved kindness and favor. Like you know you bring nothing to the table except the sin that made the devil Christ necessary for you. But you somehow feel guilty because you perceive other people think it's unfair. Well, you have a step with grace as well. Instead of embracing grace and enjoying it and celebrating the kindness and goodness of God, um, you have a step with that. Like, we need to embrace grace. You know, a couple of years ago, um, at one of our Easter services at the church I was serving in, we put like, you know, flyers on them, all the chairs, and it was just like you know, a flyer for our kids' ministry and our youth ministry and women's events coming up and what have you. Uh, but I, I came to church uh, the next week, uh, before the service started, and you know, there's people seats out of the auditorium, and I noticed that every single seat had, um, had a fly on it for a, a small business from a guy who's in our church. They had asked me if he could put flyers on every seat in the auditorium, so on Sunday morning people came in to worship God, they'd pick up a flyer for his small business. Um, so we collected them all up, and I, I rang in. Uh, later in the day, and I said, Hey, can you, can you pop down and, and have a chat with me? And like, he knew what was up. Like, he knew that he had crossed the line, that he should not have put uh, personal advertising uh, in the church auditorium on, on the seats. Uh, that Sunday worship is not about promoting his small business, you know. So he came in and he said, um, He said, I'm totally sorry. I, I realize now that what I did what was wrong. It was not appropriate for me to do that. I, hijacked the worship service for my own personal agenda, for my business, and that was wrong. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, that was inappropriate of you. People are coming into church to worship God. This is not the place you advertise your small business. That was wrong. But I said to him, I said, I want you to know that we're finished with this. I'm not going to bring this up again. I'm not going to hold this over your head. But we're done with this. You've acknowledged it was wrong. I've forgiven you on behalf of everyone else in the church. I guess I'm the same pastor. You know, I've, I've forgiven you. And I want you to know 
was going to treat you like it never happened. You know, that was grace. And in that moment, that, that young guy, he, he embraced God's grace. You know, I was just, I had the great privilege of being the vehicle for God's grace in that situation. I just said, you know, God, would you like to give you to? Let's, let's get on with our relationship together. And in that moment, he embraced grace. And that's what we need to do. That's what each of us needs to do. We need to embrace God's grace. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that operates not on a fair go, but on grace. Like, imagine if we did this. Imagine if everyone, you know, in the church that you're a part of, captured this. Have we heard of Jesus when Jesus says, and so the kingdom of God is like, does the parable. Therefore, the last of first and the first of your last is an upside down kingdom, a kingdom of grace and favor. Like, imagine if we captured that, if that went deep into our hearts and minds, and if that became something that shaped our life in a profound way, each of us, all of us, what would that be like? What would that be like? I mean, we'd be grateful, humble people, wouldn't we? We, we would uh, we'd know that we've been accepted by God's grace, that we're sent and saved by grace too. Not only that, but we'd be celebrators rather than competitors. We'd be celebrators of God's kindness and favor with cheering each other on instead of keeping score and resenting one another. Like we'd be celebrators rather than competitors. Like we'd be happy people too. Do you notice the people? who went to hold down and paid a full day's wages, they grumbled. They complained. They, they weren't happy. They didn't have peace and joy in their lives because they had not embraced the freedom that comes from grace. If we did this, we'd have more freedom. We'd have more joy. We'd, we'd be celebrators of each other's goodness. And not only that, we'd be more useful to God too because we wouldn't be keeping score and thinking about ourselves, but, but rather we'd be <coughs> to help the community embrace God's grace too. We'd give away more, we'd celebrate more, we'd bless more, we'd honor people more, and God could really do something with us. And instead of, we're going count us in our church, and instead of experiencing uh, judgment or rebuke or score keeping, they'll experience God's grace. And our church would become, churches would become a place of forgiveness and freedom. People would say things like, no one's ever said that to me before. And they tell the story of their parents or their, their marriage or, or other struggles that they've had. They experience God's wonderful grace. That's making community would feel grace. Our eyes would well up with tears as we hear story after story about how transformative it is when we walk in step with the kingdom of God, when we experience God's grace and show God's grace to others. So the challenge for you today, the call for you today, is to embrace grace. I want to finish just by leading you in prayer. And then the prayer is a simple prayer. It says, Lord, make me a person of grace. Lord, make me a person of grace. I embrace grace. Let me pray for us. Maybe you can pray along. This is where you're at today. Lord, make me a person of grace. I embrace grace. For too long, being right, can you fair go, holding others to account has ruled my life. But I realize now that I'm out of step with the way of the kingdom of God. I know, Jesus, that this robs me of joy, robs me of peace, and those around me, they, they feel judged by me rather than loved by me. But today, Lord, I want to embrace grace. I'm asking your Holy Spirit to work in me, to bring transformation to me. Lord, make me a person of grace.
Yeah, yeah, that's right. 